You didn't know you were going to get to experience that this morning, church. What a gift to be able to do that. Um, if you uh, aren't aware, <clears throat> I am uh, about to enter into a time of sabbatical uh, where I'm going to step away uh, from our church for a uh, number of weeks. And um, I'm so thankful for our elders and trustees and really you as a church family to provide me with some space um, to get away uh, so I can um, just seek the Lord, um, so my family can uh, rest a little bit. Um, we planted this church almost nine years ago. In March will be our nine-year anniversary as a church, and um, it's been such a joy, um, but it's also uh, time to take a little time away. And, uh, and so, um, man, what a special way for me to uh, celebrate all that God is doing um, as I get to press pause a little bit on uh, being here every week and preaching, and um, man, it's such a gift to me. And so um, thank you for being able to, I'm so grateful to be able to celebrate um, with Brandon and Tobias this morning and all of you, and grateful um, to you as a church family uh, for giving me uh, the space so that we can seek the Lord, and I can't wait. Um, Just get ready when I come back. yeah, you might want to brace yourself because I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to, to do some great things in my heart and life um, as I take this time uh, away. With that, I want to um, ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we are going to continue in our study from the book of Hebrews. Um, if you're a guest with us, I say this every week, but just know you can catch up in our study of Hebrews wherever you might find a podcast. You can kind of catch up with us. Um, you're going to be blessed, by the way, as I step away uh, by some amazing preaching. Um, you're going to realize one of the tenets of this church as we planted it was that it's not about any one of us, and it's especially not about me. You're going to see and get to hear from preachers, um, some of our own, Kent and Caleb and Kyle, as well as a few guests, friends of mine who are going to come and bless you. Um, and uh, so you're going to continue in this study in the book of Hebrews, even as I step away to finish this book over the next few weeks. But if you were with us or weren't with us last week, we started at the end of chapter 9, made our way through the beginning of chapter 10, and reminded that Jesus is the only, was the only acceptable sacrifice to God that could atone for sin. And so we have this big issue in the world of sin and how would God reconcile sinners to himself? What was the means for that to happen? How would he um, do that? And of course, it was through um, the purpose of the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, who would come um, and as Tobias so clearly shared, would lay down his life uh, for us, um, three days later taking up his life again, proving his victory over sin and death. But it was Jesus who was our great high priest, but also the only one who could provide atonement for sin because he was perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice. And so because he was sinless, he was able to serve as the sacrifice when he laid down his life on the cross. And so we confess our sins. We repent of our sins. We do all of that knowing that our Savior, that Jesus has atoned for those sins, that there has been a work done on our behalf that reconciles us to God. This is all that he's describing, the author of Hebrews, at the end of of 9 and beginning of chapter 10, is that Jesus was that sacrifice. And it says that after making purification for sin, he sat down. The emphasis being there that he sat down, meaning there was no more purification to be made 
All of the sacrifice, it had been paid. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant what he said, and God the Father accepted that finished work of Christ on the cross. And So we don't need to be people who are trying to atone for our own sin because, one, that's silliness. We cannot do that. And there's not an expectation that we should. We put our faith in Jesus. Jesus has described, entered, Not the earthly temple that was made by hands, but he entered the heavenly temple into the presence of God himself. And he did so as our high priest. But here's the more radical truth that we're going to see explained even further as we get to the end of chapter 10, is that where Jesus entered in, into the presence of God, he did so as a forerunner for us, and that we get to follow him there. See, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, only The priests were allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. None of the people were allowed to do that. But with our great high priest Jesus, he has entered into the presence of God and he calls us. He says, you get to come with me there. I go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you will be also. That's the hope that we have. So in this transitional verse, in verse 19 of chapter 10, The author of Hebrews begins to apply that theological truth that we have the invitation and have the opportunity. We are going to enter into the presence of God through Christ. He applies that to how we should live. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great Priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to pause there. We see three exhortations given to us in this text as to how we should live and, the, the, in a sense, the attitude that we should have as we live knowing that we will one day enter the presence of God and that we can do that through Christ. Overarching this whole statement, these three is one Uh, phrase that he says at the very beginning, therefore, brothers, because of who we know Jesus is, that therefore, as we look back, because of who we know Jesus is, we have, what does it say? Confidence. Confidence to enter the holy places. We have confidence in that. So often, I find, this is sometimes in my own heart, there's this, a bit of timidity before God. That's one thing to understand and have reverence for the holiness of God and realize, in a sense, when we approach God, we are standing on holy ground. Let's take our shoes off. Let's be serious about this. Let's not not lose sight of that. But we draw near to God with confidence, in a sense, with boldness. Here's the difference. When I think of confidence so often, because the culture has influenced us in this way, when I hear the word confidence, I put a self in front of that. Self-confidence. All of the culture. Our children are being raised, and in some ways, I understand there's some healthiness to this, but there's always a line that can be crossed, right? With self-confidence being the aim. 
We want you to believe in yourself. It's all about self. That's idolatrous. That's why, if you wonder why so many of the things that we see in our culture exist, it's because the only thing that matters is what I think, what I believe, what I want. It's all about self. We've lost this understanding that that's not the confidence that we are called to here. We don't have confidence. As Christians, we don't have self-confidence. We have confidence in Christ. Therefore, brothers, because of who he is, not because of ourselves, not because we figured it out, not because we're special, not because we've been given some special revelation or an understanding that none of the rest of the world has, has, but because of who he is, we enter the holy places. We come to the presence of God with confidence in him. Here's a better way to illustrate it for some of our younger generation. We don't come into the presence of God like Conor McGregor. That's not how we do it. I know I don't get that walk down very well. You just got to realize. We're not puffed up in ourselves with our giant tattoo right here. Nothing against any of that, by the way. Just saying. That's not how we enter. We enter into the presence of God like a child climbs up into mom and dad's bed after a bad dream with complete confidence that there is nothing wrong in what we are doing. There's, no, there's, there's nothing that, that we should change about it. The, you know, your children, they climb up into bed with you. There's no telling them no. They're there. It's been a long time since that happened in our house, but I do remember those days. We do that knowing that we fully belong there because of Christ, because of who he is. We draw near with confidence. Our confidence is in what he has done. Our confidence overrules this reality in a sense that we know that our sins should prevent us from belonging there, should prevent us from coming into the presence of God, but our confidence is that what Jesus said about himself and what God says about him here in the scriptures, that after making purification for sins, he sat down, it's over. We don't have to look for more. His sacrifice was enough. And so, we come into the place of God with confidence, So he continues, he describes now with this confidence, skipping down to verse 22, let us draw near. We have a confidence to enter the holy places because of who Jesus is, and so let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, let us draw near. And the way that we draw near, he describes it as with true hearts and full assurance of faith. Full assurance and faith. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear full assurance and faith, those can seem as if they're opposites, right? I'm supposed to have full assurance. There's things that I have complete assurance of. There's other things that I have faith in, but here he merges them and says that we should come, we can draw near to Christ and to God with full assurance of faith. Full assurance sounds like something concrete. And when I hear faith, I think more about a hopeful expectation in a sense. Somewhat how I think of the cowboys, right? By the way, 10 and 7, if you want to write that down, that'll be the... When I come back, you can talk to me about it. 
Full assurance sounds more like Tom Brady. But here we're told that we draw near with full assurance of faith. That full assurance comes from our recognition that our faith is in the right one. Our faith is in the right place. My faith in that football team, the problem that you all have with me is the object of my faith is not consistent, does not sustain, can't hold the weight of that faith. So often we put our faith in the wrong things. We put our faith in things that we should not have full assurance of, that they can't hold the water that we put into them. This is why when we think of all of the idols of the world, all of the things that people, some of us, we put our hopes into, they can't hold the water that they're intended to. They crumble underneath the weight of whatever things might come into the world. We idolize our children. Our children will fail, crumbling faith. We idolize our positions in the world, whether it's work or uh, some other volunteer position or just something that we do in our lives. And when that fails, when we realize it doesn't satisfy, it crumbles. Full assurance of faith is assurance that we are putting our faith in the right one. Faith in Jesus is who we can have full assurance of. We don't put our faith in our works, in the things that we do, because guess what? As perfectly and as holy as you live for the next seven minutes, notice I've already put a short time frame on that. That's for me, not for you, for all of us, though. There's going to be failure. There's going to be sin. And if we've put our faith in our works, in our ability to look right before God or to do the things, then we are essentially reverting back to the law. One of the challenges that we see talked about all through Scripture, we do it too, We can do whatever God might ask of us to look holy enough that he might accept us. No, we don't put our faith in our own works. There's nothing that you could do good enough because ultimately sin is real. But when our faith is in Jesus, when our faith is in the right one, we can have full assurance. So he says, draw near with a true heart in full assurance that true heart could otherwise be translated as a sincere heart, a heart that doesn't hold back, but hearts also, as it describes, that have been transformed as they have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed, the symbol of baptism. Dane Ortland in his book Deeper says this, Jesus describing what Christ has done and the full assurance that we can have. Jesus, the clean one, was treated dirty so that I, the dirty one, am treated as clean. Sprinkled clean, the blood of Christ, transforming our hearts, taking out the heart of stone and replacing it with the heart of flesh. And we are cleansed. What we saw experienced here this morning through baptism was the outward symbol of what God had already done through Christ's blood in their hearts. And so, let us draw near, he says. The second let us that he gives us, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, we hold fast to Christ. He is what we confess. Why? Why? Do you get to enter into the holy places? 
Why can we draw near to Christ? The answer is because we've been covered with the blood of Christ. We can draw near to him because of him. He is our hope. And we have to hold fast to that confession of our hope. One of the temptations that we have, again, is to look for hope in other places apart from Christ. We look for hope in circumstances. We look for hope in relationships. We look for hope in so many things that are external to us and to our lives. So many things that are sometimes even the good gifts of God, we can put our hope in them. We need to remember those good gifts, they are just that, good gifts to be received and to be enjoyed and to praise God for, but we can't ever let those good gifts replace him. Our hope is Christ alone. And so we hold fast to that. What does it mean to hold fast? Your grip is tight. You don't hold that loosely. There's a lot of things in our lives that we need to hold more loosely. We need to not be so concerned with keeping a tight grip on them. The best example that I can think of in that realm is our own children. Two of our sons have graduated and have begun their life in some ways, little earmuffs, apart from us. She hates to consider that reality. I do as well. I hold my children loosely. I love them. I'm so grateful for them. They are three of God's greatest gifts to me, but they are not my salvation. They are not my hope. I hold fast to Christ who is my hope, and I give thanks to God for all the things that he blesses me with through their lives. There's so many things that we could hold fast to. I could hold fast to this job, this position of being called one of your pastors, a great honor and tremendous joy of my life to consider as I'm gonna take a little bit of a break all that God has done in the last eight and a half years and to just think that I've gotten to be some small part of your lives and anything that he has done in your life is you can't understand the joy that it brings me. But I don't hold on to that. It's not my hope. You are not my hope. This church is not my hope. Christ is my hope. He is the one that I must cling to. As I go on sabbatical, I'm gonna get to practice that. I'm gonna cling to Christ and hold you loosely in my life. And that's good for my soul. And it's good for your souls in return. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, holding fast to Jesus. And finally, he says, third, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. And let us consider one another. This teaches us that we cannot be selfish again with our faith. It's not self-confidence. And as we consider one another, we're not selfish with our faith. We realize as the people of God, we have been given to one another and we need one another. 
the same way that self-confidence sort of being inserted in the front of the word confidence is somewhat detrimental to us as Christians. This is sadly one of the ways that we see the culture of individualism and consumerism has so much crept into the church and it's not good for us. It's not healthy for us. It's something that we should regularly fight in our own hearts to push back. We have been given to one another. So we cannot neglect one another. I know it's sometimes hard for us to hear, and perhaps in some way this has been misused or misapplied in your life before, and so I just, I'm sorry that that's happened. But it's not legalism for us to say we need one another and we need to be together. We need one another, and we need to spend time together. We meet together not just for us, but for one another. We meet together so that we can see one another. We can encourage one another. Consider, as you're thinking about whatever gathering, and there's many opportunities that we have as a church family to gather together, but consider perhaps next Sunday morning. Have you ever asked yourself the question, not do I feel like this, do I want to, do I, But considering others greater than yourself, ask yourself, who needs me this morning? Who needs to see me? Who needs to get a hug from me? Who needs to be reminded of God's love through me? Who needs to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, receive a word from God through me? Considering others greater. Thinking about the others in your life, that when you show up in this place, God is at work in our midst and he's using each and every one of us. All throughout the scripture, especially in the New Testament, as Paul writes many letters over and over again, he talks about the body being made up of all of these varied and different parts. I don't have time to give you all the references this morning. I'm almost done. But all over the place, he talks about the body having multiple people, multiple parts being knitted together through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can function as the body of Christ in a dark world. We need one another. And so we cannot give up and neglect the one another of this text. So let us consider how to stir up one another, not neglecting to meet together. And then he says, but encouraging one another. We all need encouragement. I can't remember the origin of this quote, but I've heard it many times from many different pastors. No one ever died of over-encouragement. You can't encourage someone too much. You can't come alongside someone too much and say, how can I bless you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I remind you of who Christ is? How can I remind you of where your hope is found? Because again, we find ourselves putting our grip on these other lesser things, these not even gods. And we need to be reminded where we put our hope. We have to encourage one another in this. This, by the way, I don't have time this morning, but the next section I want to encourage you to read in verses 26 and following through 39, he gives a warning, and the warning is this. You've been persecuted. Remember this church that is receiving these letters, small house churches in Rome more than likely, Jewish Christians who are facing persecution after persecution after persecution, and he warns them, and he says, you need one another, so much so that You might drift away from the faith if you don't continue to have one another and to be spurred on by one another. 
And if you disobeyed the law, they knew that led to death. How much more if you disobey or make light of the cross of Christ, he says. That's a serious thing, to make light of what Jesus did on the cross. There's no life. He says, that's where he quotes, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So there's a serious warning contained in that, and the warning follows these three statements of let us draw near to Christ, let us hold fast to Christ, and let us consider one another how we can meet together and encourage one another and spur one another on to keep our eyes on Christ because we have a real enemy who would like nothing more than to destroy us and thereby destroy the body of Christ. One of the things that we are going to do beginning this month is to try to work harder in our attempt to encourage one another and to spur one another on. If you're a covenant partner, if you're a member of this church, you know this language, but our membership makes up, we have family groups, people that we just sort of assign to a group, and each one of our elders has had a responsibility for sort of spurring on and caring for the groups of our church. As this church is growing, you're, I don't know, has anybody noticed it's harder to find a seat lately? Um, by God's grace and his kindness, we're multiplying and growing, and his, the gospel seems to be taking forth. We have new believers coming to Christ, all of these good things. And so as elders, we look to Acts chapter 6, and we see, you know, we can't do all of the work that we're called to do. We need to enlist and gather some people to help us up, to help us so we can make these family groups smaller. So just know you're going to have some people that are reaching out to you, new leaders, family group leaders, to get our family groups smaller so you can gather together in groups of four or five four or five families to encourage one another on, to receive care from those people, to connect with the body more uh, just sort of regularly, all of those things, because we realize that that's just been a gap, and we want to do all we can to ensure, to encourage one another in our faith. If you're wondering, what does all this mean about being in a family group, you need to come to City Church 101 and 201 the next time that's offered. That's the path to sort of get on that process of growing if this is where God has called you to be. If God has called you to this church to consider the people of this church more than yourself, to spur one another on in our faith so that we could look like Jesus, that's what we'd invite you to do. Come and be a part and encourage one another as we draw near. As we close, there is this warning given. And in verse 35, In 36, he turns back from the warning that was given about falling away and making light of the cross of Christ. He comes back to this idea of confidence. Therefore, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't look to the rewards of this world or this life. But keep your confidence, draw near, enter the holy place with confidence. Don't throw that away. He recognizes all the trials they're walking through. This, the church that received this letter initially, in the same way, many of us, perhaps there's trials that we're facing. For you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We come to God confidently. We hold fast to Christ because he is the means through which we have been reconciled to God. 
And we also recognize our need for endurance, for strength. Yesterday, I rode my bicycle a very long way. I could not have done that alone. Just tell you, I, I would have not made it. It would have been too hot, too long of a distance, too challenging, too painful. I would have just said, nah, I'm out. But I had brothers with me that spurred me on, reminded me to take a drink of water, reminded me to get in back and follow behind me for a little bit, reminded me, reminded me, and gave me the endurance to finish the race. Don't you want to finish the race? Enter into the holy place of God, into his presence. Isn't that what ultimately life is all about? And he has blessed us. His grace and kindness to us is that one, we have a great high priest in Jesus who made that possible. And then through the power of his spirit, he gave us the church. He gave us one another to encourage us, to walk with us, to say, hey, brother, take a drink of water from the gospel. Stop listening to that lie. Hey, get behind me a little bit. Let me, let me kind of go ahead of you for this season. Let me be the one that kind of guides you, disciples you, opens up the word of God and says, look here, look here, look here. You can do it so we have the endurance to make it home. That's what it's all about. So put your hope in Jesus so that we might draw near to him. Hold fast to Jesus. Consider one another and don't give up on doing it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us, fully displayed in the picture of our Savior laying down his life on the cross. I thank you that we can draw near to you with confidence because we know, we have faith, we have full assurance of what Christ has done. Holy Spirit, would you help us to hold fast to our Savior and not to the things of this world? Would you help us to consider one another greater than ourselves? Help us to not give up on one another. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to see your work in the world as of primary importance to us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part. Pray all this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa. For the glory of God and the good of the cities.